So I've been asked to talk about uh, last term's free speech decisions. Two of them were unimportant and two of them were important. I'll mention the two unimportant ones and then talk at some length about the important ones. So one of the unimportant ones was unimportant for First Amendment purposes, although people thought it was going to be important. A case called Alonis versus the United States. Uh, Alonis was represented by our own Supreme Court clinic. Um, the case in which um, Mr. Alonis uh, used social media to say a whole range of horrible and threatening things to his estranged spouse. Uh, and then the question was whether this was a threat using social media, using electronic resources uh, in violation of federal law. Uh, everybody thought, or most people thought, that this was going to be a First Amendment case. It was substantially argued, both in the briefs uh, and in oral argument, as a First Amendment case. But it, the Supreme Court ultimately decided it not as a First Amendment case, decided uh, in favor of Alonis, uh, but entirely on statutory interpretation grounds, substantive criminal law grounds, and a little bit on due process grounds, saying that it was necessary to prove that Alonis intended to threaten, as opposed to his victim feeling threatened, as opposed to the words being interpreted uh, objectively as threatening. Uh, it was necessary for the prosecution to show that he intended to threaten. All of this is a matter of statutory interpretation, substance of criminal law, and due process, and not at all about the First Amendment, so I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, so. Um, Second, uh, as Dick briefly mentioned, there was a case called Williams U. Lee versus the Florida Bar, uh, which was about the question whether judges who actively solicited campaign funds when running for election were protected by the First Amendment in soliciting campaign funds in much the same way that most other candidates for most other offices in the wake of Buckley versus Vallejo, uh, Citizens United, uh, McCutcheon, and a bunch of other cases have First Amendment rights to solicit funds. And the Supreme Court said, no, judges are different. Uh, not surprisingly that a group of judges would say judges are different. Uh, judges are different. Judges can be restricted in ways uh, that others cannot because of the necessity of preserving the integrity of the judiciary, public confidence in the judiciary, and so on. So uh, I at least uh, think per perhaps we can think of this case as a footnote, but only a footnote to the Buckley versus Vallejo line of cases and not much more than that. So the two important cases. One of them, a case called Walker versus Texas Division, Sons of Confederate Veterans, uh, which sort of signals what the case is all about. The issue was, in fact, simple, or relatively simple as a factual matter. Texas issues what it calls specialty license plates. Not strictly vanity plates, rather specialty license plates because a group of people or a group can petition to have license plates that have the design and logo and symbols of the group or the organization. Um, a commission decides whether Texas will accept this, and if Texas accepts this, uh, then you can get this kind of license plate. 
obviously for a fee. Uh, and in general, Texas does not exercise very much control over what kinds of things are permissible. So despite the fact that Texas feels strongly about um, football and its football team, you can get a University of Oklahoma Go Sooners license plate in Texas. Um, and I'm making up these examples, but um, it suggests the kind of thing that Texas allows, despite the fact that Texas has a uh, large and prosperous beef industry. Um, a group can certainly uh, get eat more chicken license plates, despite the fact that Texas has a substantial oil industry. A group could get solar power is best license plates, and so on and so on. Despite the fact, however, that Texas was open to a very wide range of license plates. They said no to the United to the Sons of Confederate Veterans when the Sons of Confederate Veterans wanted a license plate that made mention of the Sons of Confederate Veterans and had a had an image of the Confederate battle flag on the license plate. Obviously, the case took on greater significance in light of the South Carolina killings and all of the concerns about the Confederate battle flag uh, that came after that. But the case is of doctrinal significance even apart from that. Um, the doctrinal significance is largely about the question of government speech. That is, in general, at least in various different public forums, in various different ways, the government cannot engage, including government of Texas, cannot engage in what is called viewpoint discrimination. They can't pick and choose in terms of who can speak in the park. They can't pick and choose in terms of who can have a parade. They can't pick and choose among all of these things based on whether you hold one view or the opposing view. Viewpoint discrimination is, in general, a big no-no as a matter of First Amendment doctrine. A big exception to this is that the government, when the government is speaking, is allowed to engage in its own viewpoint discrimination. The government can have a point of view. The government can take a position. One of the interesting things about the opinions in the Walker case is that all nine of the justices agreed with the basic propositions that I have just articulated. The disagreement was about how this particular case fit into that framework. But sometimes we get too hung up on disagreements. Sometimes we get too hung up on applications to particular facts. The fact that all nine justices agreed that government speech, when the government is speaking, is largely immune or completely immune from the constraints on viewpoint discrimination is probably the most important dimension. Nevertheless, although all of the justices agreed on this, uh, the debate was about whether the license plates were the speech of government or whether they were the speech of the car owner. The majority, um, Justice Breyer writing for himself, Justice Thomas, Justice Kagan, Justice Sotomayor, and Justice Ginsburg, Ginsburg said, this is government speech and therefore Texas can say no to the sons of Confederate veterans. 
The dissent, Justice Alito, joined by Chief Justice Roberts, Justice Scalia, and Justice Kennedy, said this is viewpoint discrimination. Texas doesn't want the Confederate battle flag on the license plates. That's viewpoint discrimination. So the real question was, is this the government speaking, or is this the car owner speaking, or a group of car owners speaking? It is clear that when government speaks, it can engage in viewpoint discrimination in the various different ways in which government speaks. Uh, it is not a constitutional requirement that government add an image of Osama bin Laden uh, at Mount Rushmore. Uh, although Alexander Hamilton is on the $10 bill, at least for the moment, um, it is not necessary for government to have an equal number of $10 bills with Aaron Burr um, on them. Uh, and in various other ways, um, government, when it speaks, is allowed to take positions. Government is allowed to engage in its own viewpoint um, discrimination. Indeed, in the license plate context, we can see this every time we look at a District of Columbia license plate that says taxation without representation. This is a point of view. Um, you may agree with it, you may disagree with it, uh, but it is clearly a point of view uh, that's being expressed by the District of Columbia license plates. So, um, then the question is, how do we think uh, about the license plates? But it's not just about license plates. Government generally speaks through its employees. So the important question, the important issue surrounding the whole government speech issue is that when government speaks normally through its employees, is it government speaking, or under what circumstances is it the employee who is also a citizen speaking, in which case the employee might have free speech rights? So most of the interesting government speech cases involve employees where the government is saying, in effect, um, we are taking a position and we are telling our employees that they should espouse the position for us. And the employee is saying, I am an employee. Uh, I do not lose my First Amendment rights. I do not lose my constitutional rights by taking government employment. Um, so uh, that's the issue. Um, that's the importance um, of the case. Uh, Justice Breyer, speaking for the majority, said, yes, it is true that Texas allows a very wide range of license plates, but the people who want this on the license plates want the government's endorsement. After all, you are constitutionally entitled, he said, to paint the Confederate battle flag on the side of your car. The very fact that you want it on the license plate suggests that you want to tell people that Texas at least somewhat agrees with your position, um, and therefore it's government speech, and therefore Texas can say, no, we don't want to endorse this position. The dissent said, in effect, don't be ridiculous. Everybody who wants one of these things can get it. Uh, a wide range of political positions, ideological positions, and a whole bunch of other things all get to be on the Texas license plates. This is citizen speech that just happens to be on a license plate, and therefore for Texas to engage in viewpoint discrimination of this sort violates the First Amendment. 
That's the issue. Um, but as I said, just to repeat, the most important thing is the unanimous reaffirmation of this basic idea of government speech is largely immunized from First Amendment scrutiny, no matter how viewpoint discriminatory, no matter how much it may take a viewpoint it is. <coughs> Second important case, a case called Reed versus the town of Gilbert. Uh, the facts are somewhat less interesting. The doctrine is somewhat more so. Uh, the town of Gilbert's sign ordinance uh, drew a distinction between, on the one hand, political and ideological signs, and on the other hand, temporary directional signs in terms of the size of the sign, how long you could keep it up, and a whole bunch of other regulations of this variety. A church that had put up a temporary directional sign for its church event complained that they were being discriminated against because the regulation restricted their temporary directional sign more than regulations would restrict various other kinds uh, of signs. Justice Thomas wrote for the majority, um, along with uh, Chief Justice Roberts, Justice Scalia, Justice Kennedy, Justice Alito, and Justice Sotomayor, and Justice Kagan concurred in the judgment, joined by Justices Ginsburg uh, and Breyer. So there was agreement that the church was being discriminated against. There was an agreement by all nine justices that these regulations that imposed a greater restriction on temporary directional signs than on other kinds of signs were impermissible in this case. What was important, however, or what is important going forward, is that Justice Thomas, for the majority, said that there is no distinction between discrimination on the basis of point of view, as in the examples I was mentioning when I talked about the Texas license plate case, and discrimination on the basis of subject matter. That discrimination on the basis of subject matter is just as bad, they said, as discrimination on the basis of point of view. This is a dramatic change from existing doctrine and is likely to have enormously pervasive implications. So um, one way to think about this um, is the argument one way um, is that, and the argument that would support the majority's view, is that to discriminate on the basis of subject matter is to set the agenda. To discriminate on the basis of subject matter is to decide what kinds of things can be talked about and what cannot, and that goes against the fundamental tenets of the First Amendment. The argument the other way uh, is that all sorts of institutions have particular purposes and if subject matter discrimination is treated the same way as viewpoint discrimination, institutions will not be able to focus uh, or protect their fundamental purposes. So let's bring it literally back here and think about an example. This is, as you know, a state institution. Um, so um, one of the things that under existing doctrine, uh, the University of Virginia School of Law is permitted to do is to say, we will allow all sorts of groups to set up booths. We will allow all sorts of groups to come into the building and solicit literature and everything else, but it has to be about law. That under existing doctrine is permissible. 
The question is whether after Reed versus the town of Gilbert, the law-non-law distinction, the subject matter distinction, is still permissible. This relates to a wide variety of different institutions. Um, it's one thing to say that the University of Virginia Law School um, must allow in, as it must under existing doctrine, all points of view as long as all points of view relate to law. It is quite something else to say that the University of Virginia School of Law must allow anybody in to speak about anything as long as it allows somebody in to speak about something. Uh, that's why I say this case, despite its relatively uninteresting facts, may have more far-reaching implications, and why in the concurring opinion written by Justice Kagan, this was thought to be an enormously consequential move by the majority. Whether the majority sticks to it in the future is something we, are, we will see in the future. Thank you. <laughs>